Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name is Adrian Lester. I'm Joanna Scanlon. Terry Minot. Bronna Taggart. John Drew O'Neill. Sarah Ball. Tom Riley. Kate Fleetwood. John Heffernan. And I'm Jonathan Harden. And so, so soon, you'll be listening to a brand new series of The Honest Actors podcast series three is coming soon it will be with you before christmas all of those voices that you just heard and the people that own them uh, will be featured in series three as well a few others that i can't yet talk about so if you haven't already set your podcast app to automatically download podcasts including this one i suggest you do that now for now though this is something a little bit different this is a recording of a live podcast chat we did last week in the new diorama theatre with Emily Barrington and Sean Biggerstaff. It's hosted by Lorna Wallace-Taylor and it is in association with the Honest Actors podcast for TUC Young Workers Month. I was approached about three months ago by Lorna Wallace-Taylor uh, on behalf of the Equity Young Members Group and asked if I'd like to host a special live podcast for TUC Young Workers Month. Sounded like a great idea to me, but what I didn't like about it was Lorna was going to put in all the hard work and I was going to arrive at the last minute and take all the glory. So, after discussions, I'm very glad to say that I was just a guy who owned some microphones and uh, had access to a podcast feed, i.e. this one, so that we could release the resulting conversation. I should thank, before we begin, Vittorio Angeloni, who is a fellow Belfast actor, a recent Guildhall graduate and who helped me record on the day and brought some of his own gear. Vittorio has his own podcast, Plug Alert. Uh, it's called The 42 Podcast. It's also available on iTunes and all good podcast outlets. And you should check it out if for no other reason than because the most recent episode features me playing the accordion and singing badly. Uh, so you can check that out, The 42 Podcast, on iTunes. Thanks, Vittorio. Nothing else really to say, I guess, except that uh, in the spirit of TUC Young Workers Month, if you're not a member of Equity, regardless of whether you're a young member or not, uh, or would be a young member or not, I am recommending that you join. Equity is a union of 43,000 performers, creative practitioners, all united in the fight for fair terms and better conditions in the workplace. Equity brings together entertainment professionals like you and like me and like everybody else to make sure that our individual and collective demands are heard, whether they're for decent pay, better health and safety regs, or just more opportunities for everybody, regardless of gender, ethnicity, sexuality, disability, or class. So now, more than ever, it is 
vital that we are all members, that we participate and that we take every opportunity to encourage our colleagues to do the same. If you've been in a play and you've had an equity debt, you've probably had this talk before, so apologies. But if you didn't listen to it then, I'm hoping you'll listen to it now. So if you'd like to join equity or if you'd like to find out more, let me rephrase that. You're going to join equity. To find out more, go to www.equity.org.uk. Anyway, before I let you hear this chat, I should say that also in the spirit of TUC Young Workers Month, I met up with the emerging actors uh, with whom I had the roundtable discussion two years ago and found out what they've been up to in the intervening 24 months. Those seven chats are also available on iTunes or wherever it is you're listening to this today. So once you're finished listening to this, you can go back and listen to those as well. If you're a brand new listener to the podcast, if you've come here via equity and never heard anything about the Honest Actors podcast and are wondering why I'm talking so much before I let you hear what you came here for, please do, once you've listened to this, go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts from Series 1 and Series 2. I think it's all right. I mean, who am I? But I think it's okay. And if you don't like it, let me know. The podcast is on Twitter at Honest Actors, as am I, at Jonathan Arden, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-R-D-E-N. Also, sadly, on Instagram. Come say hi. Let me know what you think. Suggest a question for the few interviews that I have remaining to do. But like I say, wait until just before Christmas and I will unite you <laughs> with... Will unite you? Is that a thing? I will... Yeah. I'll, I'll fix you up with a brand new series. Enough chat from me, I think. Here it is. It's a live podcast recording in the New Diorama Theatre, hosted by Lorna Wallace-Taylor and featuring Emily Barrington and Sean Bickerstaff. Enjoy. Jonathan, thank you. So um, I'm going to start off with the the most obvious question, I think, which is, uh, when did you first think, this is what I'm going to do? I'm I'm going to commit to acting. Um, I I was eight years old, uh, doing kind of youth theatre productions and stuff, and asked my parents if this is something you could actually do for a job when you're a grown-up, and they said, yeah, and anyway, I'll, I'll do that then. <laughs> and then never um, had the imagination to change my mind <laughs> for 27 years. Fair, better than yourself, Emily? Uh, so I was not eight years old, I was 23 years old, I think, um, because I, I had the same kind of question, which was, can anybody make a living out of this? And for some reason, until that point, I just couldn't work out how that would be possible um and And still yeah exactly i still wonder but it just didn't seem like something that i didn't know anyone that was an actor um and all i ever heard was that it was completely impossible and it was only when a friend of mine went to drama school um and i'd already gone to university and and she went to drama school and i thought oh that's that's a way that people can do this thing that i really love the next thing was how to then pay to go to drama school (laughs) having already done a degree but um I worked it out, and uh, yeah, so it was pretty late compared to lots of people. So there was never any sort of as a child. You, you I did it as a uh, as a hobby. Yeah, um, yeah. I did loads of school plays, uh, amateur dramatics, was in sort of various musicals, um, 
and I loved the idea of it being a job, but I just couldn't quite seem to make the... I, I didn't have any belief that it would actually be, be possible until I saw somebody actively doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, Sean, I understand that you didn't go to drama school. Um, and no. uh, I just wondered, some of... I did, um, but some of my friends who have been to university and then have later become actors have really felt like that's a, a barrier to some of the people they can see, or they felt like there's... They felt challenged by that. Is that something that you would um, say of your experience, or...? Uh, yes and no. I think that's really... Um, just depends on the person and the situation. There are, there are sort of pros and cons. I'm, I mean, I'm quite an, in quite an unusual situation. I started so young. Um, I've been working in theatre since I was 10 and working in film since I was 13. Um, and I'd always sort of assumed I would go to drama school, but then when I got to the age um, where it was time to leave school and think about what to do next, I was working. And my friends who were leaving drama school largely weren't. Um, so it seemed like an odd thing to do to kind of lose what momentum I had um, to go and train. And there are some directors and some casting directors who are a bit sniffy about using anyone that's not um, formally trained, but then I think there are probably at least as many kind of people that are sniffy in the opposite way and like to do a lot of, you know, street casting and, and, and all that kind of thing. So in my experience, I think it more or less balances out, both in terms of castability and in terms of just the craft, if you will, itself. Like some people seem to benefit hugely from a formal training and it gives them a real kind of tool set which um, a sort of comprehensive tool set, which I guess it's hard to get any other way, and which I certainly don't have. Um, but some people seem to respond to it by having an incredibly sort of narrow um, sense of how to do mm -hmm. things, and not really. And um, yeah, I mean, some of my favourite actors are trained up to the hilt, and, and some of them are just completely running on instinct. And I think that's probably true for almost anyone. If you think about who your favourite performers are, they will be a, a mix. So. Um, yeah, in a word, it depends. Yeah. Um, so you've gone to drama school, you've thought that, yeah, I'm committing to that. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about your um, first acting jobs. Uh, so, so, yeah, I went to um, Guildhall and I had probably the uh, sort of um, lucky but unhelpful experience of getting a job while I was still in third year. Um, I, I got cast in a play at the Almeida. And so I left early to do that. And therefore, having spent my whole life thinking it's impossible to be an actor, had six months of thinking, oh, it's actually incredibly easy. <laughs> and <laughs> you just get a job and then off you go. And then that play finished and I had spent all the money that I'd earned, which was obviously fairly little. Um, <laughs> and then that was, I suddenly realized that that was not the case and that it was neither completely impossible or incredibly easy. It was always going to be this kind of up and down situation. Um, and that the important thing was not to decide this is what being an actor is like, that that's where you kind of fall if you think, right, now I know what it is, is this. And then the next minute the rug gets pulled out on your, on your feet. So, but I had a really great experience doing that play. Um, and it was a good chance to use some of the things I'd learned. But kind of as you were saying, that some things I hadn't learned were to do perhaps more to do with um, 
instinct and working with professional actors and all that kind of stuff. So that was quite a big learning curve um, early on. And working with people that were outside my own age group, because at drama school everybody was kind of within five years roughly of each other. Yeah, and, and yourself, Sean, what was your sort of first? Uh, the first theatre job I had was um, in Michael Boyd's production of Macbeth when I was 10 years old. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very interesting approach to casting, he always has. Um, no, uh, he, did a, he ran the Tron in Glasgow for 11 years and, and um, did this production of Macbeth where Macduff's children were also the witches. Um, which he's done, he did again when he went to the RSC, I believe. And I believe that that's the production actually that sort of, um, that really got him noticed and got him offered a gig um, at the RSC, uh, which is kind of a cool thing to have as your first job. And then my first film was um, when I was 13. Alan Rickman needed a couple of Scottish schoolboys for a film called The Winter Guest. So he came to my youth theater and uh, I did that. And it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, what would you say it was like, sort of working as as a child in that industry? Was that um, was it really? How how was that? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think when I was ten, I was just sort of kind of pissing around and, and probably not uh, taking nearly as much in as I should. Um, and again, working with. Alan, at the age of 13, <clears throat> was amazing. Sorry, I don't normally sound like I'm half asleep. I've got a terrible cold. Um, uh, but in terms of preparation for the industry, and probably not very much, because Alan was just so kind of nurturing. And we had two weeks of rehearsals, just the two kids in a room with Alan, um, so that we were sort of completely across all of the material for the entire film and could shoot anything on any day. And that's just, you just don't get that, you know, yeah. that doesn't happen on any sort of normal um, movie. Uh, but in some, in some ways it was, it was, it was useful because, um, like you say, some, you know, suddenly being in this world where, you're, where your peers are actually a you know, huge range of ages mm. and, and experience and abilities and things. Um, I, you know, by the time I was a grown up trying to make a living at it, I was, that was just second nature to me. That was the world I'd be moving in forever. Was there, because you've got such experience at such a young age, was there ever a point where you thought, oh, actually, is this sort of what I want to do? Do you know what I mean, going forward? Or was, was that never, was it always sort of, as you say, it felt second nature, but was there an ever sort of like a, a point at which you thought, should I carry on? Yeah, I, I, I very nearly, <laughs> I very nearly quit several times. Yeah. Uh, I applied for university actually, uh, and got in, but then didn't go um, because I, I had a film happening and, and sort of various things were on. It just seemed like the wrong time. But um, yeah, I mean, having, having just fallen into it and not really questioned it uh, at the age where you're normally deciding what you want to do, I then came much later to, you know. The, the, it's such a weird business for there being so little correlation between what you put in and what you get out, um, which I, I find incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, I've had amazing experiences and great fortune that's just fallen on me out of the sky. And I've put huge amounts of work into trying to make things happen that haven't, or done a lot of my best work 
in situations where it just hasn't been seen by anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so even though there's been great ups, it, that's, I just find that a really difficult kind of situation to not really, to not get back what you, what you put in. I would totally agree with that. And uh, one of the things I found so interesting, actually, listening to Jonathan's podcast, is the whole conversation surrounding, is acting a career? Or is it just one job after another? And I find that, I've had that conversation with friends, and I, I don't know, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, following what yeah. Sean said. I guess I don't really mind if it's a career, as in it's just what <laughs> I am doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't really mind if people call it a career or not. I think that um, the way... I suppose, it's, I suppose it is a career, but I think it's still a career whether you're also doing five other mm -hmm. jobs. Um, I think so many people now, actors or not, exist with portfolio careers where they do loads of different things and have various strings to their bow. And I don't think that in any way weakens whether one of them is your um, career or, or not. Um, so, but I think, f for me, the thing that sort of keeps me going forward with it as like a solid thing of I'm going to keep being an actor is, is actually making myself answer the question of whether I want to keep doing it. So whenever it's really hard, you know, I, in order to not lose my mind, I say to myself, well, you have the control here. You don't have control over much, but you can decide whether you actually want to carry on doing this and keep this as your career. What do you want to do? And inevitably, every time I say, well, I, I want to stay. <laughs> Emily, I want to stay. And, uh, but if I ever thought, no, it's not, it's not making me happy enough, then uh, I hope I'd have the courage to look for something else to do or do something else as well. Yeah. I think on that same line of, of career, do you, are you an actor, are you actors that set yourselves goals or do you have a year where you think right, by the end of this year, I'm going to try and have achieved this? Or is there some sort of structure to that for you? Or is it just a case of, right, this has fallen, this is happening? Or is it a mix of the both? Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem with it as a, as a career. Is that, well, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's really not a career. Apart from, apart from a tiny minority of very lucky people, there's... There's no real sustainable model for a career. You know, you, if you even if you have a year where you just you do, go from one job to the next and you do really, really well at all of those jobs, no one is going to come in and say, right, next year you're going to have a bigger role and a big, better salary. Mm. You know, that does not happen to actors. That happens in almost any other skilled job. Um, and you can. I mean, you can try and impose structure, say, I want to be here. You know, you can try and make your own work happen. Um, and maybe it'll work, or maybe it, it, it won't. You know, you sort of, if you want to stay sane at all in acting, you sort of have to accept that you're in the lap of the gods. Um, because even if you try and, well, I've had this experience this year, even if you try and make your own work, you try and produce your own things, mm. you're still at the mercy of the whim of some people that have some money who can just decide yes or no, and it's not based on how much work you've put in or how good an idea is or anything else. So, yeah. Do you, do you encourage making your own work then following that experience as a creative sort of...? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, look at you. I can see the light down in your eyes. Um, um, well, I'm... <laughs> It depends what you want to do. I mean, 
if the sort of work that you want to make is the sort of work that, that there's an audience for in which you have a good chance of getting it made, um, then it's more likely to be a rewarding experience than if your tastes are a bit off the beaten track and if you're you know, applying for, I mean, this, you know, art, as we all know, arts funding in this country is getting thinner and thinner on the ground. Um, if, if, so I guess if you're, if you're sort of, if you're good at being flexible and compromising and tailoring the sort of projects that you want to make towards what there is a, a set up, you know, a kind of um, an audience for or a structure ready to accept, uh, then, then yeah, great. But if not, then, I mean, by all means do it. I mean, I'm not here to say, um, mm -hmm. don't try to make things happen, but it's, it's very important, I think, to be aware of how, how difficult that can be. Mm -hmm. um, on the days where you maybe haven't got a job or you haven't worked for a while, or what do you do to sort of really keep yourself motivated and focused? And, and how, how do you deal with that sort of sense of frustration of the, um, your lack of control over it all? Or? I think, um, so I try really hard to have a structure in my day, regardless of what's going on. Um, because I have found it very hard in the past when I've had a, a long, long stretch of not doing anything and it not feeling like anything's going to happen, um, that I can feel this sensation in my brain sort of turning to mush. And so um, I realized fairly early on that the only way to deal with that is, you know, make yourself get out of bed at, at a reasonable hour and not like 10 o'clock, like you need to be up at, at kind of the time that if you... Uh, had a normal job, you might be getting up. Um, I find that exercise can be quite helpful, just as a way of feeling like you've achieved something, like just get out and breathe some fresh air. Um, uh, and then having other things that you find interesting and engaging. Um, obviously, if you, I, I think that sometimes needing a second job, as much as money pressures is one of the worst things about being an actor, having the uh, structure and discipline that like working in a bar gives you, or whatever, it, also offers something because it gives you a, a, a structure to your week and a place where people need you to be um, because it's quite hard sometimes to feel like oh, nobody nobody cares what I'm doing today. Um, but but even if you don't do that or or around doing that, you know, going doing free stuff, going to galleries, reading the newspaper, um, doing a bit of writing, but um, it being kind of your own endeavour, maybe not really worrying about. Uh, the future of it, just sort of, I don't know, uh, something like that, to stay, stay creative, I'd say. But I really have to be really strict with myself because I can easily watch Netflix till two in the <laughs> afternoon. And then inevitably, I just feel completely terrible for the rest of the day. So I think just, just get up and get moving <laughs> is what I'd say. I'd say that's a great advice. Mm. Uh, and what about yourself, Sean? What do you um, sort of... Uh, yes, a very similar approach. Well, I mean, the success at it oscillates wildly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said that as if I ever managed it, but I try. I really yeah, try. Yeah, no, I mean, like some days I'm up at six and I'm, I'm off to the gym and, and reading and, and working towards other things that I want to make happen. And some days just... Mm. But I mean, well, one of the struggles is that even, even when you are working a lot, um, there's no routine because it might be theatre, it might be, you know, you might be up at four in the morning to go filming or you might yeah. not be stuck. Yeah, have two weeks off till your next day. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. Or you might not be working until six in the evening because you've got because um, you've got a theatre gig, uh, and uh, that's the, I think that um, is a, an aspect of the, of the job that doesn't really get talked about much, and it's, you're certainly not 
compensated for it in your, uh, in your union minimums theater wage packet is the, the kind of psychological and, and health effects of never having any kind of reasonable routine in your life. Mm. You know, a, a job where you're, where you're at an adrenaline high coming off stage at 11 o'clock at night and you're in a foreign, you're in a different town and you only know six people and they're on the bar. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's virtually impossible to get, have any kind it's of healthy really routine. I, and, I, had, yeah. I used to have loads of problems with sleeping and I went to my doctor about it and he said, well, you've just got to start having a routine. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was filming something at the time and getting up at four in the morning and like getting home at midnight or something and I just thought, that's not possible. But so that's where, yeah, I guess it, instilling it for yourself is as far as you reasonably can, I'd say, do you, do you think? That, and, yeah. that, but, but like giving yourself a break that you, you can't always do it. Um, and I think well, actually the only other thing is to make sure you have stuff that you love that is not to do with the acting industry, that I find it really easy to become completely consumed with it and to feel like every second of the day has to be somehow furthering my progression. And actually, sometimes you just need to be able to love some other stuff, like whether it's football or whatever, just something that is unconnected where you get a break. Because even watching a great film, you're still watching work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I still, you know, I never really, I have to watch like documentaries and terrible reality TV sometimes just to be like, I couldn't have auditioned for this. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know anybody else in it. And uh, it's not making me feel jealous. <laughs> yeah. Um, we touched on sort of the psychological effects of like maybe not sleeping or um, the effects of being on stage and I just wondered whether there's a lot of discussion at the moment about arts minds and sort of protecting your own mental health in that way. Um, is there anything that you would um, recommend in terms of keeping yourself... Um, motivated in terms of maybe a support group or a, I know with equity one of the things I love about it is that meeting uh, groups of actors regularly that you sort of know that there is that sort of community of those people is there anyone like that that you have or you turn to or sort of relationships with friends what yeah uh, yeah friends that are actors and also yeah um being involved with the union is a is a mm. great way of not feeling so completely isolated. You know, it doesn't uh, doesn't make all those problems uh, disappear, but it makes you feel that you know you've got kind of comrades in that weird situation that you're in. Offstage character. I'm just waiting for the door to shut. Here we go. Yeah. So, and you said family. I think. Similarly, yeah, being involved with the union is a great idea. A friend of mine is very involved with the Women's Committee, and I can see that she gets so much out of, um, in an industry where things are very difficult a lot of the time, knowing that you are actively part of improving it on any level, even mm -hmm. if you're not improving your own individual career um, from it, that there's something bigger at stake, which is people's experience of this career. Um, but also, yeah, just talking to other actors, and I think in the spirit of this podcast, being really honest about when it's difficult. I've, to, for, the, for my first two years out of drama school, I lied all the time about how I was feeling about it. And I was like, no, it's fine. And I've had a really good audition and, uh, and, and was trying to sort of stay chipper and, and also try and look like someone who was busy and important and in demand. And that was completely exhausting and made me feel awful. So learning just to, you know, go to 
something or, or even go to an audition and they say, what are you up to? And not feel that you have to bullshit and just say, oh, I'm learning to drive or something like that. Yeah. I mean, if you are learning to drive. But like, you know, something that, that is about your real life is, is also really valuable. I had a friend who um, was once, she went to an audition and she said, oh, um, I've been painting my house. And now every time, it works so well that every yes. time she goes, she says, I'm painting my house. <laughs> I, it I think that's, that's, so, I think that's yeah. so good. I think that's great. Because, yeah, it just, you don't need to kind of reel off your CV to anybody. They don't need to yeah. hear it. They probably don't want to hear it. And you probably don't want to tell it either. No. So yeah. I think it should be like casting director etiquette that they just don't ask you that question. No. It's such an awful question. You know, it puts so much pressure on you when you're auditioning. They know as well as anyone that if you've not been up to anything, that doesn't mean anything about no. your ability in the job. And if, if, if you are, you'll, you'll have told them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> You've been wearing the crew T-shirt. Yeah, the exactly. Time. But no, I think I think I do. If if other people sort of say to me, "So what are you up to?" I try and leave at least a second of um, of stare before I say anything, just to <laughs> just to remind them that that's a terrible question. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great idea. Indeed. So you touched um, briefly on the, you have a friend who's on the Women's Committee. Mm. I know that you're a big supporter of ERA and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what that was and yes. uh, how it works. Absolutely. So yeah, so um, I got involved with ERA 5050 through a friend of mine called Kate Phillips, who uh, is very much at the forefront of it. And it's a campaign um, that is aiming to have equal representation of men and women on stage and screen, uh, screen by 2020. At the moment, the ratio is two to one. Um, and they're also looking into crew and development, directors and so on, so kind of at every level, bringing it to 50-50 equality. Um, and so they're doing that by, first of all, by the campaign. Um, they had a big launch where they had um, a lot of people who actually have the power to make those changes happen, like producers, uh, artistic directors, writers, um, and gave them specific advice about how to start implementing this and how to make it intersectional as well. And so they, for example, they asked that writers, when they're making a script, to um, look at any characters whose gender is not relevant to the story. So if it's a story about a father-son relationship, yes, perhaps it needs to be two men. Um, but if, it, if there are characters where their genders are relevant, put all of those characters on a list, go down the list, and make them female, male, female, male, female, male, and just uh, do it like that. So, And also encouraging artist directors, say, if they um, commission a play that is very male-heavy to make sure that somewhere else in the same season they balance it out with a female-heavy play. Um, and they're, yeah, I think they're doing a, a really great job and time is ticking, so hopefully by this time next year we'll be saying that it has been achieved. Yeah. Can I just say I would normally be wearing my era 50-50 badge, yeah, but it bent and fell off in the tube the other day, oh. so... I know, I should really have mine on, that's terrible. Oh. But yes, and the Equity Women's Committee is also doing such amazing stuff because uh, the other side of things is not just people creating the roles, but women um, or any, you know, parents being able to take jobs, you know, their childcare initiatives are really great to, to make sure that people don't, if there are parts available, that they are then able to do them. Mm -hmm. mm. I um, recently read about um, an actress on 42nd Street in the West End that was recently featured in the stage, I don't know if anyone saw it, where they've uh, recently managed to get her a job share with uh, another actress and I think that's just 
amazing and it's you know hopefully what we're working towards it should um, be so normal though shouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, job shares yeah. everywhere else are like the most normal thing ever but that's great that it's happening yeah um you mentioned the women's committee again there just to mm. sort of if you don't know how the committee structure works so within equity there are lots of different committees and some of these are equalities committees so like women's committee lgbt committee um and others deaf and disabled members committee uh, and then there are also committees which focus on certain elements of the industry so um sean is on the screen and new media committee um and i wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what you do um, well, the Screen and New Media Committee um, sort of uh, oversee um, uh, Screen and New Media. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it? Things like that, yeah. The, the, so the staff will be negotiating terms with the BBC or with um, ITV or with packed independent producers, whatever, and um, they're, they're sort of accountable to the membership for the work that they do on that. Um, and we are the representatives of the membership who go and, and oversee that and, and hear the reports and, and vote on whether we're going to accept um, proposed agreements, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to be honest, I, I feel I've been on the committee for just about a year, and um, due to weather and ill health and things, I've, I've missed a few, so I, I, I'm still just sort of finding my feet. And there's a, the, the Screen and New Media Committee in particular is the one that's got this vast and ever-growing um, area to deal with because um, it used to, I think it used to be just called the screen committee but now we've got voiceovers and computer games and so you know the what that umbrella covers is just is is growing exponentially uh, and so I find, I find myself I find myself you know in a meeting with a vote to do with you know motion, doing motion capture in a computer game which is just an area that I don't know anything about at all um, so that's uh, a learning process for me. Although I, I, I felt much better, but I met um, Malcolm Sinclair, our ex-president, in the in the pub after the last meeting, and I was feeling a bit kind of overwhelmed and out of my depth. And he made me feel much better by saying that he, uh, for the first two years that he was a councillor, he didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was just sort of standing there trying to figure out what all this was about. So that made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so you you both obviously support um, support different campaigns. I just uh, why is that important, I suppose, in the industry at the moment to um, champion different causes? Uh, I guess for me it's that uh, it's an industry that is unfortunately structured in a way where actors have very little power a lot of the time. And, in, and when they do get power, they kind of don't need the support as much. So um, the fact that it's an industry where there are, are more actors than there are jobs, um, so it's very difficult to take a stand if you really disagree with something, um, because perhaps the people in charge will just think, well, I'll just replace you. Um, that I just think it's, yeah, it's so important to have uh, a union and a structure in place where we have a spirit of supporting each other, um, but also that when things come down to it, like if there's a legal issue, then equity will back you. Um, and that's what, when I first signed with my agent, they were so strongly advised, they said, you know, if you're not already an, um, uh, an equity member, which I was, we really, really strongly advise you to, regardless of what your beliefs are about unions or whatever, that, that um, you know, they will pay your legal fees if you need to be helped to get out of a terrible contract or something. But, uh, you know, it's, I think that there's, I can't see any downside of 
being part of equity. Yeah. Um, I I wondered if we've talked a little about um, how frustrating that can be and feeling like you don't have any power and that sort of uh, sense of helplessness in some ways. And I wonder if that's a part of almost something that's um, strangely motivating about being an actor, and I wondered what your thoughts were on that. Um, I, I wonder if, sometimes I wonder if I want to do it because there's something about that sense of um, motivation that I am really intrigued by and that, that, that the disappointment almost is outweighed by um, wanting to, to achieve something. Um, th th there's that sense driving me forward and do you, do you think that's true of yourselves or? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so small. <laughs> I, well, I, get, I sort of, I, probably, I, I, I guess I don't feel sufficiently driven and that's probably something to do with, with starting so young um, and kind of by the time, like, a lot of young actors, particularly because well, the, the thing that I'm best known for is a little bit in the first couple of Harry Potter films. So I get a lot of young people asking me for advice on how to get into acting. Um, and I sort of don't really know how you do that because I just fell into it when I was a kid. And I, also, I never, I never had that, went through that phase that most people go through of being like 20 and really hungry for it and, and just, you know, you know con just consumed by it. That's just never because of just, it's just been something that I've always done. It's never been like that for me. Um, it's the only thing anyone's ever paid me for. Mm. Uh, which... Have <laughs> you never had another job? No. No, wow. No, not really. Um, uh, I mean, I've done things like convention appearances and stuff that are not, mm. technically speaking, acting, but you wouldn't really think of it as, you know, it's not a day job, is it? Um, Sorry, what was that? What was the question again? Uh, just, oh, yeah, well, is the, there something about right. the frustration of the whole process that sort of compels you to, to carry on, I suppose? It's quite a depressing question. Really. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I think no, there's something about it that I think, I think that, I've yeah. probably struggled to find the drive to carry yeah, on. I think that's, that's fair. I think that. Um, that sometimes I, I, I understand what you mean because sometimes I worry that it feels a bit like playing the lottery every day <laughs> where it's like the potential of kind of extreme feeling, whether it's positive or negative, is quite addictive. But I, don't, I also don't think that's very healthy. So I've been trying to um, kind of mellow out my reactions to stuff because I, I completely see what you mean, that there's, there is like a dangerous addictive quality to it being really when it's great it's really great and when it's bad it's really bad and it's all kind of out of your hands and the phone call happens or doesn't happen um, so if I do get a job um, I try not to over celebrate so that if I don't get it I don't feel like I have to kind of fall down a complete well of despair mm -hmm. um, it doesn't always work but I have tried um, to, to seek a little bit more like balance um, and see everything more as like a good opportunity, uh, something creative I'd like to do, but but not that it would like change my life because things rarely do. It's, it's just another interesting job or it isn't. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know if I answered it. 
That's, that's really interesting because one of the things I picked up from Jonathan's podcast was him saying that he kept um, a bottle of like champagne or Prosecco in the fridge so that whenever he <laughs> had a success, he would champagne open it. Yeah, I, I'm doing that now. <laughs> I do that. Um, and so it's sort of like the opposite thing, I suppose. What I, I find that when I get something, I that release, but maybe yours is... Um, more practical. Well, maybe, Sorry, but maybe you also maybe you need to also like treat yourself when you don't get it. As well. yeah, like, yeah, maybe yeah. that's the way to balance it. You'll spend a lot of money, but it'll be. That uh... sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Staring at it at three in the morning. But for me, that was like it's really important to celebrate the tiniest of, of little things. We have to mm-hmm. stop doing that, and we have to remind each other. Oh shit, we haven't we haven't celebrated Tuesday's little tiny tiny bit of news yet. It's not like we're drinking every day. My wife's an actor as well. It means like once or twice. Every month we ha- we have a bottle that isn't just a drinking; it's a celebration of something small. Oh, that, that is, is that nice. Is the idea that way. So, yeah, I'm gonna show up there. Sorry, didn't mean to make you sound like you were drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, I suppose another question is um, if, if you could go back and tell you something yourself something that you wished you'd known at the beginning, what would that be? Mm. You've got a long way to think back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I would say don't don't try and work it out. Don't try to constantly analyse whether it's going well or going badly or the industry sees you like this or the industry sees you like that. They might or they might not, and it might be going well, it might be going badly, but trying to analyse it is exhausting and a complete waste of time, and you're normally wrong anyway. So it's I guess there's a sense of like trying to... Uh, stay in in the moment with whatever you're working on, with however you're feeling, um, and not, yeah, not not to try and work out the kind of mystery of the acting industry. Mm. And yourself, Sean? Um, your first word was don't, and I thought you were just going to stop there. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I th- um, God, I, uh, I hate sounding like a sort of grumpy old twat, but <laughs> I am that. So, um, <laughs> I gotta say, don't would be my advice. Do, do you wish you? Um, I mean, it's that like, it, 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 so weird. It, it, it'd be sort of funny to say that I wish I hadn't because I have had some incredible experiences and I've been very, very fortunate. Um, but. The very fact that even for even for someone who has had such incredible luck and such incredible experiences, um, it's it's still a real um, struggle, and also like, the, the changes over economically in the business over the time that I've been doing it. Um, you know, 20 years ago, if you were working in theatre pretty regularly, and you got a couple of little guest bits and telly shows in a year, you could, that was a good living. That's not true anymore. You know, um, things are polarizing for actors to the point where, you know, if, if your name's on the tin, uh, you're making a fortune. And for everyone that isn't in that situation, things have gone have gone down and down and down. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, there's a, I mean, a lot of reasons. Um, do you think it's uh, that there's um, more people in the industry now, or more people going for the same jobs? Or, um... Yeah, there's a huge amount of competition. 
And to go back to unionism, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I mean my commitment to trade unionism is, is much more of a, of a general one than, than kind of specific to our business. You know, I just think trade unions are how we make things better for ourselves and each yeah. other. And mm -hmm. that is just true of almost all times and all places. And, um, you know, why should I join the union? What will it do for me is the wrong question. Um, you should just, you know, ask, ask not what the union can do for me, ask what I can do for my union, I think is the right question. Um, but um, being in performing arts is quite a frustrating place for a, for a trade unionist because there's so much competition. You know, we are each other's um, competitors as much as we're each other's comrades. Um, and you have, to re, you have to reapply for your job every five minutes. And so it's kind of, um, it's inevitably an area where unionism is in some ways going to be quite weak. We just don't have the levers to pull as well. You know, we can't stop the trains. We, we don't, but in terms of membership, um, proportionally for the number of actors, we, we do have quite a large percentage, mm. percentage of actors who are members in comparison to something like steel workers who might be sort of working in the same place, but who percentage-wise are, are quite small in terms of their trade union membership. Mm. So I think that's one really positive thing. And the average age of an equity member is 27. So we're quite, um, I think sort of younger people do, do appreciate that and do um, younger actors specifically. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh no, that, I mean, that's, that is in no way to, um, a criticism of equity. Oh, no, or anything, of you know, Because it's, it's not, equity is fantastic. Um, and equity, unlike a lot of unions, actually st still has a little bit of that, um, of that sort of glamour to it, like, you know, having your equity card um, uh, is a sort of um, badge of honour, which I guess it's not in every industry. No, these, these, these problems to do with um, artist unions are just, uh, they're inevitable, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not about how well equity functions. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, every time I'm on a train and I see a guy with an RMT badge in the tie, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I wish I could go on a tube strike. <laughs> um, I suppose after that, why do, you, why do you want to continue to, to be an actor and to work in this industry? What, what is it that, that sort of sticks you to it, that means you can't, for now, that you don't want to leave? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just following what you said, both of you. Like, uh, well, as I've already kind of implied, I mean, I'm, I'm not that tied to it. Um, it's sort of with just enough regularity um, to keep me hanging on. It will hand me an absolutely incredible experience. Um, uh, and oh, just age-old things about being a performer. You know, for all the for all the the shit that you go through, um, you know, a, a really good show on a great night, just going down really well and giving the, all the people that are there um, a real experience is, is, is extraordinary. I mean, the, la the last thing that I did that was kind of like that um, just showed the business in all its light and shade of a play for Michael Boyd, actually, who I hadn't seen for 20 years, um, but he gave me a part in a play called Right Now, which was with Maureen Beattie, El Presidente, among others. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> it was just a, an absolute masterpiece, an incredible piece of writing, and, um, and Michael Boyd, is, I, I just can't, he spoiled me for any other 
directors. I sort of can't really be bothered working in theater for anyone else now. But um, uh, the people left that room sort of shell-shocked, I think, with what they'd just, what they'd just seen. And even though it nearly killed us to do it, um, I mean, it was working all the hours God sends on this absurd kind of black comedy about grief, I suppose. Um, I mean, I think we worked on it for four months, and I genuinely wasn't okay in the head for about three months after it. Um, but when something's that good, you're more than happy to suffer for your art. And that's, that's a sort of level of, of experience that not a lot of jobs give people. Um, so, yeah, that's something that whenever I think that maybe going, maybe trying something else, that's kind of something that holds me back. It's like, you know, you might be able to get away from the waiting for the phone to ring, but you're also, you're also turning your back on that. And Sorry, just to pick up on the supper for your art, do you mean in, in terms of where you took yourself to emotionally as opposed to any kind of... Yeah, and, you know, just like being on the road for four months, work, uh, working to an incredibly unhealthy schedule for terrible money. You know, I mean, that's that, that suffering as well, but more specifically with, to do with that job, yeah, just, um, yeah, where you had to... What it cost us and, and ourselves to actually do what that play required of us. And, and yourself, Emily, mm. what, what sort of... What, where's going. the magic in it? Yeah. I think... I get it from the other people that do it. So the other people that you are either working with, um, I really love other actors in general. <laughs> Some are terrible, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say there's more, far more really great ones. Um, and I really like the other people involved. Often, you know, like on, um, when I've filmed something, I, I often find like being in the makeup trailer sort of the best bit of the day. I think there's like a really great atmosphere in those places because normally if you're making something in the UK whether it's theatre or or TV or whatever most people aren't doing it for the money they're they're doing it um, because they really like doing it and so being around people that are really loving what they're doing is great um, and then if I'm not working uh, if anything I think it's still it, it's asking myself the question constantly and saying right well what would you what would you rather be doing or do you wish you weren't doing this or whatever and carrying on saying no this is this is really is hard but but as you were saying the the pros are still outweighing the cons um, but still having that community wherever I can find it whether it's people I went to drama school with or people I've worked with or you know friends of mine who our actors um, sort of shoving each other onwards and saying, mm -hmm. right, you're the one having a crisis at the moment, so we'll all sort of <laughs> pick you up and tell you to keep going, and then someone will do it for you at another time. Yeah, great. Thank mm. you so much. Uh, I wondered if we could go to questions from the floor. Has anyone got any questions for either or...? I have a microphone here, in spite of the fact that you'll all be able to project. You touched lightly on sort of waiting for the phone to ring and having an agent. How do you have any advice in terms of how to handle that relationship with the people that represent you? I think it's probably different for everyone. Um, and I know people that really love having a, a kind of purely uh, business relationship with their agent where they just talk about work and meetings and that's it. I know some people that are really like great friends with their agents. Um, so I guess it's about what works for you that enables you to be honest with them. And that's something that I have found very valuable, is being able to uh, be honest, whether it's because you don't want to go up for the audition they've 
scent or that you've seen something that's on and you want to be seen for it and also that you want to ask why you weren't seen for it or whatever that um, yeah working towards a point of, of kind of positive honesty even though sometimes that might be hard to hear because um, if you ask for feedback then you might hear something difficult but I, I, I'd say that's the most important thing for me however you get there whether it's through like business approach or friend approach or kind of a mixture of both. And I wonder what you thought about decision making. Obviously, there's a lot of power in the, like the word no, but when you make a decision, because we work in such a precarious sort of field, when you make a decision, is there any advice sort of on like how you decide like this is the job I'm going to take? Is this going to take my next six months of my life? Because you take that, and then anything else that comes up could be better, could be worse. I don't know. I'm an indecisive person. I'm sure a lot of people in the industry are. It's <laughs> a big thing. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, I sort of. <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. The only power an actor has is to say no. Um, I struggle with that in the sense that my, my instinct is very much if, if, if something's not exactly right, if it doesn't really float my boat, is to not do it. Um, now, that used to be a reasonable strategy in this business because it used to matter professionally to not be associated with stuff that's not necessarily very... I don't know, worthy or whatever. Um, and when I was very, very young, like teenager, you know, I took a lot of advice from a lot of good people about how to you know, know what you don't want to do, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I find it virtually impossible not to continue to operate on that basis. In actual fact, it's completely anachronistic. Now you can do a crisps advert or a soap opera or you know, any of the, um, or conventions, for example, that used to, used to be seen as like a kind of graveyard for has-beens. Um, now, everyone does it. In fact, if you're doing a huge TV series, it's written into your contract. You have to go and do Comic-Con or whatever. Um, and just the fact that your face is out there, even if it's not attached with any kind of particularly, you know, esteemed acting work, um, is, is a good thing in terms of, of, of getting the next um, big job. Um, so, yeah, I suppose say, do what I say, not what I do, because I still, <laughs> I still turn my nose up at things all the time, but it's really, really not helpful. Hi. One of you mentioned bar work before, but other than hospitality, have you found any other somewhat filling career options to fill the voids between acting gigs that have been able to keep you financially stable and not just bored and lazy? And poor, <laughs> yes. I think that when when I first left Guildhall, I did um, quite a, well. I did some tutoring, and I have a lot of actor friends that do a lot of tutoring because it's like the, the and you know you don't have to have a degree to be a tutor. You can tutor eleven plus and whatever that that um, provides a lot of flexibility, kind of working within your own times. Things that you can then reschedule if you have an audition stuff that's within normal hours, so you're not, you know, the problem obviously with working in a bar is if you've got an audition the next morning, you'll be absolutely exhausted. Um, and it's also fairly well paid, so I'd say tutoring is the, the number one that I would what look into. What did you into. tutor in? Geography, because I did a geography degree. <laughs> I, I know. And suddenly it was very useful when I was a tutor. But, um, uh, yes, I got a bit stuck with geography A-level. I suddenly realised that I wasn't quite good enough for that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realised I had to honourably remove myself from being somebody's tutor and just said, I'm afraid I, I have nothing left I can teach you, so please find another one. 
but yeah, it's pretty good. On the way here, I was reminded of a temp job that I uh, was called for on the day, and they rang me up and they said, we need you at this office, it's so urgent. And I got there, and they wanted me to put up Halloween decorations all day. <laughs> that is very it's urgent. Like yeah. <laughs> so it depends what date it was, but yeah. yeah. It was like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyone else? Well, I recently graduated, and I did the thing of following lots of casting reps on Twitter, and so on and so forth. Um, and I've noticed that uh, a lot of the time, if they're not tweeting about an opportunity, which definitely isn't for me, then they're tweeting about how annoying actors are and <laughs> how awful actors are for trying to get work. Um, and, that, and it makes me incredibly angry. Um, and I wonder But I can't say anything because yeah. I'm at the bottom of the pile. Um, and I wonder what you think actors can do, uh, apart from joining equity, um, to not be at the bottom of the pile, to be respected really, because to not have to be the ones that have to do all the work to get the jobs, which yeah. of course there's so many actors I understand that, but what can we actually do to have some basis of power in well, an upside down world? Have you, I don't know if anyone else has heard of it, Danny Lee Winter was trying to start the, the yes or, the yes yes or, or no, no, which is something that I think is great and I think that that may be something that perhaps through social media can gain momentum that it is by far one of the most terrible things is, is never hearing whether you got a job that you poured your heart and soul into you missed your mom's birthday party for you know that you uh, and I and so I try to demand an answer even when I've guessed that I haven't got it, I will keep calling my agent saying, I'm really sorry, I know that we probably know the answer, but please, can you call them again? Um, but I think t campaigns like that, I don't really know how to kind of move them forward, but I think if we try and support them and not throw each other under the bus, because I have seen you know, similar things on Twitter where the, the, the saddest bit for me is other actors throwing each other under the bus and going, I would never do that. How could somebody not be, you know? And I think, come on, like, it's hard enough already. Let's, um, let's back the fact that different people find things difficult. Some people can't learn a script in 24 hours, and that's fine, and neither should they have to. Um, I mean, you said sort of, what can we say apart from joining equity, but I, I mean, sort of that's it really. I mean, I, I, I did the same, you know, for years I would always, I would always kind of be badgering my agent to badger them to get an answer. But if you, of course, when you do that individually, you're just someone at the bottom of the pile making, yeah. a, making an irritant of themselves. Um, Equity have now had some considerable success in getting big organizations to sign up to um, yes or no. Uh, the, I mean, you know, and for casting behaviors to be um, whinging about how, you know, kind of desperate actors, given the behavior that is completely endemic in their side of things, I think is just fucking beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that, like where else in the world would it be, you know, having sometimes several times ask someone to put hours of preparation in to come to wherever you are, never offering to pay for their travel or anything, and then mm. not even send them a fucking email to say thanks but no thanks. Like in no other area of life that I'm familiar with would that be thought of as remotely acceptable. But it's such a buyer's market for them. Uh, and I don't, like, it, it's not, often not, it's not malice, you know I mean? It is such a buyer's market. They behave how they want no one really pulls them up on it because the only people who could pull them up on it are people who are just desperate for the crumbs from their table. So these kind of campaigns from the union are really the only 
hope that we've got and, and you know, that sort of situation ever and getting any better. But I also think what's so difficult is that really I think that the ultimate power lies even, even higher up. You know, casting directors are often brought on at the last minute so that they, they cost the least, which means that they only get the script. You know, I, I once said to a casting director, I only got this last night, you know, is there any reason for that? And they said, you know, actually we genuinely only got this yesterday morning because the producers don't want to pay us for more than two mm. weeks. And I thought, oh, God, there's like another layer. So I think it's But that's incredibly frustrating, because in those kind of, you're absolutely right. Yeah. In those kind of situations, they should be on our side, saying to the, yes, saying to the studios, this is not reasonable. You know, you're yeah. not going to, it's unreasonable in itself. And also, you're not going to get the best out of your actors and really get the best choice. No, you absolutely won't. If you're not giving yeah. people what they need to prepare properly. So they should, I mean, we shouldn't be having to badger them about it. They should be on our side over that. But do you have a look at Equity's Casting Manifesto as well, which was released a couple of years ago, uh, maybe 18 months ago now, and um, has all these kind of issues in it surrounding mm. access to auditions, and it does cover this a little bit, but anything we can do to promote that? Um, you touched a little bit upon uh, competition and community. I was going to ask you about comparison. I know it's the thief of joy, but I cannot <laughs> stop myself from comparing um, myself to other people I've just graduated with. Oh, they've got jobs, where am I? And how do you cope with seeing other people succeed or not succeed and feeling like you could have done that too? And how do you cope with, like, with, with comparison? Yeah, it's really hard. I think that was something I was surprised at how difficult I found it in my final year of drama school. I didn't know that I had this kind of jealous monster inside me and suddenly there it was. And I think that trying to maintain the fact that that somebody else's success very rarely directly means that you did not succeed. Obviously, if somebody else gets the job you go up for, there is an element of that. Um, but in general, if it's not that specific situation, if someone else is just doing well, whatever that means, um, that, that that is totally nothing to do with you and that their experience is completely different from, from yours um, and you will have other experiences that they don't have. And it's But it's really, really hard. Um, not to go down that path. And I think all you can do is be really aware of it and sort of go, I'm doing that thing that everybody says does not help and does not mean anything. Um, and that energy doesn't, it doesn't improve anything. You know, there's, there's kind of, you could spend all day thinking about that and it wouldn't move you onwards. Um, and that, that also neither should it. It's, kind of, it's like, I think it probably also comes from what a lot of us have, which is quite a linear view of what a successful career looks like. Um, and so I've, I have definitely tried to kind of uh, get away from that as much as possible and go, I know actors who might not consider themselves to be commercially successful, but are very happy being actors and have a very satisfying experience. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And I know actors that have loads of commercial success and are, are miserable a lot of the time. So it's... it's <laughs> I don't know if that really answered it, but that's, yeah, that it's some, somehow just like disassociating yourself from that, that if, you, if, if possible. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of trying, try not to be, um, it is weird because we're, we're in direct competition with the people that are also your friends and, and your colleagues, mm. but uh, as well as trying not to, um, give in to those kind of ignoble 
feelings too much. Also accept that you're not made of stone. Yeah, yeah. And, you're, and they are going to occur. And you're not a bad person because of it. You know, so I think it's sort of that two-pronged approach of, um, of trying to minimize the effect that it has on you, but also just allowing yourself the fact that it inevitably will have some effect and kind of forgiving yourself for that, I suppose. Mm. And I, actually, that made me think, I, I have a friend who's an actor who sometimes we say to each other, you know, I'm really happy for you and also incredibly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, like, owning the fact that you, um, that that's part of it is, yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah, that's important as well. It's like, you know, getting, getting it out there, making, making a joke of it. I've done that when I've had, you know, friends or people I know that have got jobs that I've really wanted. It's next time I see them, I'll just be like, you're an arsehole. <laughs> you know, don't try and pretend that, you're, like, that your happiness for them is not tinged with jealousy and resentment. Yeah, of course it is. Of course, of course it fucking it is. is. And they know that because they know they'd be in exactly the same position. Yeah, you know? so and they probably are with somebody there. else. Yeah, yeah. Get out there and have a laugh about it and yeah. give each other a hard time. And, yeah. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much to everyone for coming today. Thank you to Jonathan. Thank you to Vittori, thank you to Emily and Sean, uh, thank you to Malcolm and everyone at the Western Southwest London Branch of Equity, also Emily and uh, Emily, Amy Dawson and Charlotte Bentz and yes, thank you so much for everything today and uh, yeah, I think we'll give a big round of applause to Emily and Sean. <laughs>
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 